Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. If you guys have your Bibles, please grab them and turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We are going to be looking and reading and studying this chapter today. And uh, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you a Bible. But I guess nowadays you could say click and swipe as well. If you have it on your mobile device, that's a great way to stay connected. But we do want you to be able to follow along as we continue our study through the Gospel of Mark, a series that we started about five weeks ago. And uh, we've been tracking uh, Mark's gospel and his perspective and observation of Jesus's life and ministry. And uh, Mark is really focused in on Jesus's healing ministry. There's a lot of activity, but we have entitled this series Servant Savior because we see Mark identify Jesus as the Son of God, the servant of men, and the Savior of the world. And so we've been picking up on these themes as Jesus already in the story has many crowds around him. He's ministering to a lot of broken people. In fact, if you remember last week, uh, and uh, also just to make mention, if ever you miss one of our messages, you can, wherever you find podcasts, that's where we're at, and you can listen to those or download them um, at a later date or even on our website. But last week, we looked at Jesus and the power of the kingdom of, of heaven in Jesus as he performs remarkable miracles with this incredible power. And what's amazing to me is that we see Jesus not only have control and power and authority over creation and over you know, the world, but we also see him have that power and authority in individual lives. And this is just such a sweet chapter um, in chapter 5 where we see Jesus heal a man who had a lot of chains and shackles spiritually in his life, and he was delivered. We also saw Jesus... Uh, heal a woman and restore her who was sick for 12 years. She went to all of the doctors. She spent all of her life savings, but she only got worse. And yet when she reached out by faith and touched just even the clothes and the hem of Jesus, she was made well. And uh, so we see Jesus restoring her, but we also see Jesus resurrecting a dead child. And this is really powerful. Jesus would later go on to say that I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And so we see in these chapters that you and I can find help in Jesus when all hope is lost. When we feel hopeless, there is help in Jesus. And so we're going to be continuing that story into chapter 6 today, looking at the Son of God. The title of the message is The Son of God because uh, there's a bit of confusion about Jesus' identity. He's already been confronting the hypocritical religious establishment. 
And, uh, but he's been having a bit of conflict with some of his family and friends, and that continues on in this chapter. Some people think he's a great teacher or a prophet. Herod thinks that he's John the Baptist resurrected. And so there's com- confusion. When he goes to his hometown, they say, who is this guy? He's the son of Mary and the son of the carpenter. But what we see in the power of Jesus in his ministry is that he's the son of God. So Jesus' radical ministry in chapter 6 here, the point for us to remember today, reveals his real identity. His real identity is the Son of God. Now we're going to see this in a couple of ways, and I think today is a great opportunity just to remind us about our sermon notes that we have on our website. If you go to questsde.com services, then you can download the sermon notes ahead of time. You can look at them even now digitally. But uh, as we mentioned The Gospel of Mark is really quick, and it's the shortest of the Gospels, so the chapters are quite long. So just a heads up for today, we're not going to be able to read every single word in this chapter, but we are contextually going to understand and outline, and the sermon notes do a great job of of doing that. Some of it will be up on the screen, but not all of it, and the sermon notes are a great resource for you. So first, we're going to see Jesus mistreated in his hometown. Secondly, We're going to see the apostles sent on a mission. Thirdly, we're going to see John the Baptist murdered in a prison cell. And then lastly, we're going to see people see the continuing miracles of Jesus. We're going to spend most of our time this morning in the second half of chapter 6. But beginning in verse 1, we'll read a couple of these verses and just kind of give a summary overview of what is happening. So look with me in Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Then Jesus went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished. Everyone say astonished. So this isn't something new. They were amazed. They saw the authority and the power of Jesus, and they said it's different than the religious elite. Uh, Jesus had this authority from heaven. And they were astonished. Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is that which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? They were a bit confused because they're looking in one sense that Jesus is this guy from their town, and yet he has this power and authority uh, of heaven. And in verse 3, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. So the scriptures do not teach a perpetual virginity of Mary, the mother of Jesus. In fact, uh, Jesus had brothers and sisters, in fact. And And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Everyone say offended. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his home country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now... He could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he, that is Jesus, marveled because of their unbelief. Now everyone say marveled. So Jesus was astonished. A couple things here I just want to make mention in an overview of Jesus' experience in his hometown. Jesus is mistreated and uh, misunderstood, really, in his hometown. And there's a couple of responses. One is there is an astonishment by the common people to hear and to accept. And the ordinary manner of Jesus' ministry really highlights the extraordinary uh, approach that Jesus has to ministry. And I think this is in 
great contrast to the religious establishment and the religious elite who were up on their platforms, up on their podiums, looking down upon people. What I love about Jesus when you read the Gospels is that he was an ordinary guy. He was right there with us. He was in the midst of our pain and of our suffering. He was touching us where we were at. He was coming down to our level to experience those same trials, those same sufferings, so that he can relate to us. He's right there with us. I think this is just a great principle if you serve in ministry or you serve in a church or you desire to be a follower of Jesus. Here is a great principle of the servant savior. I point here because we have it up on the screen. I think the servant servant savior model of Jesus is the servant nature of loving people where they're at. This is an ordinary thing and people were looking at Jesus. They couldn't understand. They, they were looking at Jesus as the son of Mary and the son of the carpenter who had the skill in the trade, who was making the chairs and the sofas and the couches uh, when he was younger. But now he has this power and authority. And uh, I, I think that there's this nature of Jesus' ministry that is so touching to people. But it also offended people and angered people. And uh, this resulted in a lack of miracles. It really was a lack of faith. And Jesus rebuked the lack of faith of the disciples and the apostles. He would rebuke the unbelief of certain people. And when there is this lack of unbelief, as we read through the Gospels, we see that the power of God is not present. And really, we need the power of Jesus in the midst of our lives. Because it's the power of Jesus that changes us and transforms us. It's the power of Jesus that gives us his perspective and, and his truth uh, and his guidance in our lives. And these mighty miracles that Jesus were, was performing in the midst of these common people, it was hindered by the missing manifestation of faith. Just even a little bit. Just even a, the faith of a mustard seed, Jesus said, which is so very small. That God can do mighty things in our lives. I, it gets me thinking just about a couple of things. One is that when God comes into your life and transforms your life, there are people that know who you were before you came to Jesus. And they look back and they say, come on, is that real? Is this real? And they look back and they say, they, they see the things that you've done and they see the lifestyle that you live. There is a great opportunity to radically and radiantly shine and proclaim your faith and trust and belief in Jesus Christ. But there will always be people who will never accept it. And uh, there is this offense of sorts. You know, the Bible says that the cross is an offense to people. The simplicity of the gospel is an, is an offense because we need to recognize our sin and our need for a Savior and humbly come and acknowledge and confess and repent and receive. So Jesus is experiencing this same rejection that I think maybe some of us have experienced even in our hometowns, even in our home lives, even in our families. But Jesus says that if we continue in faith, we'll see the power of of God in our lives. He's rejected in his hometown. And Jesus is also astonished. He's marveled at the lack of unbelief and faith. And so the story continues on. In fact, Jesus is kind of a, a combination of events and activities in this chapter. And so we're going to just do our best to summarize them. He's rejected in his hometown as he goes to continue to minister. But he is also calling his disciples back together. Look with me in verse 7. And Jesus called the twelve, that is the apostles, 
to himself and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them power over unclean spirits. Everyone say power. And he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money bags. We'll just pause there because Jesus goes on to describe the nature of the ministry and the mission, where they're to go, how they're to go, what uh, they're to take with them on the journey. Now, this is a continuation from the calling of the apostles in chapter 3 where we actually have a detailed list of the 12 individuals. And we see that they're just common guys. They have various different backgrounds and experiences. But Jesus calls them close so that he can send them out. He empowers them. So the apostles are sent on a mission. I guess just a couple of things that we need to remember here. Not only in the context of Jesus' ministry and life on earth at this time, is that there was a great work to be done. Jesus was empowering the apostles with his authority to go and proclaim and multiply the ministry in the surrounding regions. But we also need to recognize that that type of mission and ministry continues on even to this day because Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, friends, uh, of course, we don't live in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but we do live in Alpine or El Cajon or Pine Valley or Santee or wherever we're, Claremont, wherever we're at. And what we see is a continuation of the expansion of the gospel ministry through our lives as we drive into East County or to North County or to South Bay or we go to the beach or we go into other states or counties or whatever it is. That God has a mission and that mission includes people. And as a Jesus follower, you are on his team, you have that mission. And there's a unique calling and gifting, but God will never, listen, this is important. God will never send you out without first filling you up with his power. And it really speaks to the, the important rhythm of, of a disciple of sitting at Jesus' feet and then going for him. We cannot go and do things for God if we haven't sat and been filled up by him. And a 30-minute message from Pastor Sherwood, or even the greatest of, of communicators, is insufficient to fill you up for the remaining six days, 23 and a half hours that you and I experience on a weekly basis. We like to tell our team, one of our core values here at the church, is to show up filled up, meaning to fill yourself up with the word of God, to fill yourself up with, with, uh, with his truth so that when we show up to serve, then we are being able to be poured out for him. But you and I can't be poured out in service to God and to others if we haven't been filled up. What's going to happen then is we're going to be burnt out. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to be uh, con uh, concerned uh, with other people versus concerned with what God is calling us to do. So there is this power, there is um, this filling that uh, Jesus does in our lives. It's so very important, and I think that we have many rhythms. If you've got a commute that uh, is a 30-minute commute, there's a great opportunity to fill up by listening to an audio reading of the Bible in the car or listen to a sermon podcast or spending time on your lunch break or in between classes at school where you can read God's Word and be filled up. Jesus desires to spend that time with you and I. But this also speaks to the point that time spent with Jesus, this sweet time that is spent with Jesus results in a lifetime 
sent for him. Jesus doesn't want just our Sunday morning. Jesus doesn't want just our midweek Wednesday Bible study. Jesus wants your life. He wants your entire life. And when we surrender that to him and he fills us up, this is the life that Jesus described as an abundant life that Jesus has come to give us. It's a lifetime sent for him which recognizes that you do not need to be in a pulpit up on a stage. You do not need to be a pastor. You do not have to have some theological degree from some university or seminary. You don't have to be in professional ministry to be called by God and have a mission and purpose in your life to be a witness and an ambassador for Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. That is the power of God, that no power, no authority, no person, no title, nothing can give you except for the qualifying work of Jesus Christ through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit so that when you're at work, when you're dealing with employees, when you're dealing with the budget, when you're dealing with family who does, rejects your claim of truth of Jesus Christ, then you can have his power in your life flowing through you. Constantly on to other people, filling up and flowing over. But unfortunately, unfortunately, there are many Christians today who are so dry. They're, they're, they're baptized in lemon juice. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> That's just a joke, but just so, you know, and uh, you don't want to drink lemon juice or even put a lemon in your mouth. It's just sour. Some Christians that are just sour. And they're not filled up with living water. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit is in you, there will be streams of living water gushing out of your life. And people pick up on that living water. People can see Jesus in you. People get refreshed by that living water. But some people are just draining. And they are drained. They haven't been filled up. And let me encourage you to spend that time with Jesus. This is a part right now. God's speaking to us. His Holy Spirit is here. His word is open. Our hearts are open. This is a part of filling up. But there is going to be something that is going to happen to you when you get in that car. And they're probably over in the classrooms right now just waiting, <laughs> just scheming, just thinking of ways to steal and rob your peace of mind and your joy in Jesus. I know it. I got four of them. That's why I'm in the parenting class. On Thursday night, to give me a sense of peace. There is something waiting for you. And it's going to rob you and it's going to steal you. But when you are filled up with Jesus, constantly being filled up is what the, the word says. Then there is that peace. Then there is that direction. So we see Jesus mistreated. Sometimes we can be mistreated because of our stance and faith in Jesus. We see the apostles had a mission. Jesus also gives us that mission to make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to spend time with him and to go out doing things for him as his ambassador and, uh, and representative. But then also we see this story of John the Baptist. I mentioned that in the beginning of, of the message. John the Baptist being killed in prison. Now, there's a lot of uh, verses here dedicated, verses 14 through 29. We won't read uh, all of them, but I, I would point your attention to verse 17. Read that with me. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John the Baptist and bound him in prison for sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her because John had said to Herod, 
It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, we talked about John the Baptist ministry, his unique role in human history in chapter 1. You can go back and listen to that. But he was the one who was to prepare the way but we all, for, for Jesus as the Messiah. But uh, he uh, was also cousins with Jesus. And so there is a close relationship. Jesus actually said of John the Baptist, there is no other human being born among women that is greater and mightier than John the Baptist. And yet, John was not going and looking for a popularity contest. He wasn't interested in being politically correct or being woke. I don't know. Maybe that's kind of something you're encountering these days. He was not interested in any of that. He was not looking for the spotlight. He was interested in shining the spotlight on Jesus. He's very humble. And so, as he points the spotlight on Jesus... And stands for truth, what happens? He gets thrown in prison. He takes a stand for righteousness. And he speaks up. He could have been very fearful because he's talking against Herod. Herod was a a powerful leader. And he had all authority to throw him in prison. In fact, he did. He threw him in prison. And the story goes on to say that he was beheaded in prison. He was killed because of his stance for Righteousness. John is murdered here in these verses in a prison cell. But I want to make mention of just a couple of things. One is the boldness of John the Baptist and then the brokenness of Jesus after hearing about these things. The boldness of John the Baptist is that he took a stand. He had a backbone. And he didn't let fear of any one person cause him to be quiet. And I think that There are opportunities in our lives, just like John the Baptist, to take this type of stance. And there may be, listen friends, this is important. There may be severe setbacks for taking a sincere stance against sin. Now for John the Baptist, it was off with the head. I'm not saying you're going to lose your head this week. You might lose your cool this week, but uh, you're probably not going to lose your head. There are some brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to lose their head this, this week in other regions of the world. But there can be some severe setbacks in your life with relationships with other people for taking a sincere stance against sin. No, I'm not going to go there. No, I'm not going to laugh at that joke. No, I'm not going to look at that website. No, I'm not going to entertain that thought. These are the moments in our lives day to day where we can take a stand for righteousness as a disciple and a follower of Jesus and say, Jesus does not want me to go there. He does not want me to say that. He does not want me to think that. He does not want me to watch that. And because of that, you might lose a friend this week. You might lose, for a period of time, a family member this week. You might lose a job this week. Dare I say, I know many people over the course of the past couple of years and even beyond have lost their job because they took a righteous biblical stance upon the biblical principles that they hold dear and they lost their job. There could be some severe setbacks. But is it worth it? Is it worth losing your life for following Jesus? I sure hope it is. I mean, it's probably easier to say from a safe comfortable air-conditioned space it's easier to say looking at all of you precious people and sharing this message but I also need to have my heart fall upon these scriptures and recognize there are going to be those moments where we need to die to self stand for righteousness and be that witness and example in our generation 
uh, the scripture says of John the Baptist that no other generation John the Baptist was greatest. Do you realize that your, your life as a follower of Jesus has the greatest potential to impact this generation for Christ? And we need that more than ever. I saw a statistic recently, literally it was published this week, that if the trends continue, Christianity in the United States of America will be a minority religion by 2045. More churches are closing than ever before. More pastors are leaving the ministry than ever before. More, Christ, more people are identifying as non-religious or unaffiliated than ever before. There is a downward trend, but there has always been a downward trend. And there has always been a spiritual attack against Christianity. But in those moments, there has always been humble, broken people who are on their face before God with the word of God open and the power of God. We, don't have a, we do not want to have a form of religion and deny the power of God. So if you, you want to change the trends in our society and culture, then we get on our face before God. That we cry out for God, for the lost, gener the lost COVID generation that has lost years of education that are, quote unquote, according to the world standards, behind in all these other things that are more depressed, more drugged up, more cutting themselves, more depressed. I already said that because they're depressed upon depressed. More, more lost than ever before. And we have an opportunity as parents. We have an opportunity in this generation to take a stand. To take a stand for righteousness. And to let Jesus Christ reign in our lives. Did we not just sing that? Reign. Reign in our country. Reign in our world. I pray that God will raise up more pastors to enter the ministry than for more pastors to leave. I pray that God would put upon the hearts of the church people's hearts that they would stand up to, to step in to serving the Lord with his power and with his authority. I pray that we would reverse that. I know, I know we can if the Lord would pour out a fresh move of his Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you want that? Do you want a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in your life? Or do you just want to go through the motions? Do you want to just continue to be fearful when you watch Fox News or CNN or read the social media pages or scroll through and compare yourself to other people online who don't even care or just not even in your world? I don't want that. I want the power of God to fall on me and on this church and in our community. And lives would be transformed. Are we not reading about that? Demon-possessed people with shackles on their lives, delivered and going and telling their family and friends about what Jesus has done for them. Women suffering for 12 years in medical conditions because they've done everything they can and they can't get healed and they touch Jesus and they're radically changed. Listen, a lifetime of pain and hurt can be healed by a moment with Jesus. It's just a moment. And so, would you take that seriously in your life? This man did, even to the point of death. My life does not belong to me, John the Baptist would say. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And I must say and I must do all that he asks me to, even in the face of extreme danger to me. And you realize that Jesus was broken over this. The story goes on to say that he withdrew to a lonely place to pray. He was also broken and desperate. And we see that this moment of brief prayer 
brings Jesus relief in his grief. Is a great opportunity if you are experiencing these types of persecutions and struggles and challenges, or you are desiring to awaken or reawaken your faith in Jesus in these last days. If you're desiring to reawaken and ignite this flame of passion for God in your life right now, I believe it's going to start as you open up your Bible and as you Talk to God in prayer. Jesus did that constantly. There was a quote that um, I wrote down in my study book. As I mentioned earlier, I'm in the parenting class, which has been really good. We just are one week in, and our life groups just started this past week, so it's not too late for you to jump in to any one of our groups. We have four different studies. We have uh, food and, and worship. We have child care provided, and then we break up into our studies Thursday night, 6 to 8, it's just a great opportunity. I think we have a, a flyer that outlines all of the information. Uh, on your way out, pick it up, pray about it, and uh, join us. But uh, the speaker of our study said that when you put Jesus first, everything falls in order. And I thought that's a really good thing. Not first on Sunday. First in everything. First in my work life. First in my finances. First in my marriage. First in my kids. Whatever it is, we're all a combination of different facets of our lives. And so when you put Jesus first, everything else is going to fall into order. And so we see that happening here. Jesus models that for us. And then we're just going to spend a couple of remaining moments looking at Jesus' power, feeding the 5,000. We see three miracles here at the, at the end of this chapter. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus walks on water and Jesus heals many. Now these stories are actually pretty brief in Mark's account in chapter 6. You can look at Matthew chapter 14 and you can read more in detail because in Mark's account we don't see Peter talking to Jesus out in the water and saying, if it's you, call me out. And he walks out on the water and then he looks at the storm and the wind and the waves and he starts to sink and he cries out to Jesus and Jesus reaches up and he says, whoa, you little faith, right? We don't have that here in Mark. It's quick. It's just a short synopsis. And so in verse 30, we see then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told them all these things. Look at verse 33. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew Jesus, and ran there on foot from all the cities, and they arrived before them and came together to him. So Jesus is going from place to place, and uh, the word is getting out, and basically they're using Find My iPhone to track Jesus. I don't know, whatever it is. They're, they're just following Jesus from place to place. They're running all over the place because they want to be with him. And uh, they arrived before him. And Jesus, when he came out, this is so sweet. This is, this is the heart of Jesus. I don't know what Jesus you grew up with. I don't know what Jesus' religion taught you. But this is the Jesus of the Bible. This is the Jesus of your heart. This is the Jesus of your soul. When he looked out, he saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So we began to teach them many things. Everyone say compassion. Oh, our world needs compassion today. We don't have a lot of patience for people. We move from one thing to the next. We get irritated quite quickly and easily. But the compassion of Jesus is slow. You see, Jesus was always busy, but he was never in a hurry. 
He was busy about the kingdom of heaven work, but he was never too hurried or too rushed to see the individual in the crowd. And he sees you right now, and he has compassion. Compassion moves you to action. Compassion motivates your behavior, and it will always move you towards people because in the midst of great productivity in the ministry of Jesus right now, Jesus did not neglect people, and he did did not neglect prayer. And friend, that is a great principle in ministry and in service to the Lord. When there is a lot of activity, that just means you need to pray more and you need to love more. You need to have more patience and grace and compassion for other people. And when the day was far spent, verse 35, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away. Now, don't want to get too hard on these disciples. In one sense, they're looking out for the interest. These people needed food. But they also didn't realize that the bread of life was sitting right there with them. And they also didn't realize that whatever little things they had in their company and in their hands, if you just bring it to Jesus, he's going to break it, he's going to multiply it, and he's going to use it. So you might think in your situation and circumstance, your resources are limited, you don't have a lot, but if you just take what you have been given by God and take it to him and say, God, you use it, you break it, you multiply it, then God's going to do some pretty remarkable things. They they. The disciples say, send them away, but Jesus says, sit them down. That they would gather into the surrounding regions. But in verse 37, Jesus answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. He is really working on these disciples. He's already sent them out. He's already given them power and authority. He is wanting to test them in some way so that they would have a heart for people as Jesus has a heart for people. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? They're like, this is impossible. But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And and they said, we have five and two fish. And then he commanded them to make them sit down in groups on the green grass. Does, Does that not sound familiar to Psalm 23? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He's the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He's also the good shepherd of Mark 6, sitting down. Sheep don't want to sit down because uh, they're fearful of the surrounding circumstances. They're afraid of attack. And if there is no food and if there is attack on the horizon, the sheep won't sit down. The same thing is true in our lives. There is no sense of peace. There's no sense of calm. There's no sense of sitting down at Jesus' feet. If we're fearful about where our next meal or where our mortgage is going to be paid or when is the next paycheck, if we're fearful about those things or if we're just fearful about the uncertainties of life. And Jesus says, it's all right. I got it. Trust me. I got it. Don't worry about it. Just sit down. I got it. Let me prepare a meal for you to nourish your soul. And so he takes the bread in verse 41, the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples, and all were filled. So they ate. They took up 12 baskets full, verse 44. Now those who had eaten loaves were about 5,000 men. That's not including wives and children. There's a mass amount of people here who are being fed by Jesus. And just a, just a couple of things here to make mention uh, one is that we see Jesus' compassion for people, and this compassion moves his attention and should also move our attention 
to the desperation that people have. Now, we don't have anything that can minister or meet people's needs, but if we are used by the Lord, then he will take whatever we have and bless other people. And so Jesus, in the other Gospels, gospels we're told that he goes and he prays and he uh, ministers uh, to others. But uh, he also uses the insufficiencies of the apostles. And I think this is a really great principle, just maybe we can uh, kind of close with this, is that the disciples were ready to tap out. You know what I mean by that? It's maybe a wrestling term. If you're being held on the ground, you just kind of tap out because you're done. You have nothing left. You see, the disciples were ready to tap out. But that is literally when Jesus stepped in. When you're ready to tap out, when you feel like you just don't have anything left, the disciples are like, send them away. We don't have anything. It's impossible. I'm tapping out here on this one, Jesus. It, it can't happen. Well, there's some things in our lives that feel so overwhelming or there's a lot of uncertainty and we're ready to just tap out. I just want to be done with this. I can't take any more. But friends, before you tap out, just remember that the bread of life is right there with you. The good shepherd is right there with you. We do not need to worry about what we will eat, what we will wear, or where we will live. For our Heavenly Father knows that we need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I guess you could say it another way. That God does his best work when we are most weak. When we have relinquished everything. When we have just given up. When we say, okay, God, well, this is all I got. And it doesn't seem much. And it, uh, it's, it's just a little bit. But God, I'm giving it to you. When we are at our most weak and most vulnerable, usually that's when God steps in and does his greatest work in our lives. And so if you are in that place, get ready. There's going to be some great opportunities for you to trust the Lord by faith and uh, see that work being done. So um, I'm going to have our worship team come on up. And uh, just as the nature of reading through Scripture and uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead our our time this morning, we aren't able to get through all of it, but that's okay. We're not going to push. We have plenty of time to just read God's Word and to study it together. But I think there are some wonderful takeaways for us here in this chapter. One is, stay with me here. These are great applications. Don't be afraid, friends, to stand up for righteousness and truth in this generation, in your family, in your, in your home, in your marriage, in your work. Don't be afraid of the worldly consequences for taking a spiritual, godly uh, stance for the Lord. And also, I think that we're reminded in this chapter to depend on God's resources and his strength in serving him and serving others and having the compassion of Jesus Christ. And uh, I think also, too, looking at the mission of the apostles and the mission that God gives us every single day is that he's going to ask us and call us and send us into places that are uncomfortable And it's okay. Usually in the uncomfortable time is when we cling to Jesus the most. And that is usually when we grow the most. And that is usually when we see Jesus the most in our lives. So embrace the uncomfortable. And when you embrace the uncomfortable, you can see Jesus come alive in your life. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word, the person of Jesus Christ, the goodness of God, and... uh, We pray, Lord, that you would give us this heart. We thank you for revealing yourself as the Son of God. Well, you are also the Son of Man because you understand our weaknesses. And you have gone through everything that we have experienced, rejection and pain and suffering and trial. 
And uh, you have also experienced something that we have not experienced, and that is the intense beating with a cat of nine tails that was whipped across your back and pulled big pieces of flesh off of your body. Hmm. You experienced that for me. You experienced that for all of us here in this room. Or being nailed to a cross or pierced in our side, being beaten in our face, having our beard plucked out so big chunks come out. Jesus, you experienced that so that we could have new life, so that we could be forgiven, so that our sins could be cleansed, so that we could be followers of Jesus, adopted into the family of God, invited into the mission of God, and having our lives mean something with significance, impact, and purpose. I pray, Lord, for all these precious people in this room and those who are joining us online, that you would focus our attention on what is important, placing Jesus first, and would you help all the other things to fall into place that we would not be overwhelmed, but we would trust you, see you, and experience your power. We love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.